Good morning. With me today, I have Dr. Edward Inch, the president of Minnesota State University, to talk about the new school year. Good morning, Dr. Inch. Good morning. So it's the start of the school year, first week of classes. How are things going? Outstanding. It is wonderful to have our students back. Everything from the events of last week and move-in day, and the weather cooperated with us last week. Last week, yes. It was a very nice move-in day, and the festivities over the weekend. This week's been a little toasty, but it's great to have our students back on campus. It is great to have our residence halls full. It is wonderful to have the kind of vibrancy that our students bring back to campus. All of our faculty and all of our staff are back. It's a great time of year. One thing I always notice is the level of energy and positivity and optimism always seems to go up among faculty, staff, and, and everyone when the students are back. Well, I think that's true. And in part, you know, it's our purpose for being here is to be able to educate our students and to be in, in community with them and be able to work with them through all of the projects and all of the things that they are doing both in and out of the classroom. And that's that time of year, you know. We've got a play that's coming up here pretty soon at the beginning of a big uh, uh, season for theater and dance. We have uh, the athletic teams are practicing, getting ready for their seasons. There's all this sense of anticipation and what the potential of this year is going to be. How is enrollment looking? Because we've talked about declines in the past year, as have other campuses yeah. across the United States. And enrollment across the United States is expected to decline even further over the next three, four years. And we're seeing it in our system. We're remaining relatively stable. Our final numbers will we'll know in about 10 days from the first class day, that census. But we're looking like we're a little bit ahead of last year. Not all of our graduate students have registered yet, so that's still in process. And so we don't know exactly what our numbers are going to be. But we're expecting to be, you know, just shy of about 15,000 students again, so about the same as last year. This is our fifth largest in, uh, enrolling class ever. Really? Yeah, at about 2,850 students. Now, how is it MSU able to do that when other places are dealing with the shrinkage of students going or not even coming anymore? Well, I credit it to the people that both bring, bring potential students here, give outstanding tours. I credit it to having an outstanding campus to show off. Our campus looks gorgeous. But probably the most important thing is that our faculty have designed a portfolio of programs that students are interested in taking. You may have seen in the Star Tribune a few weeks ago the uh, headline news that Minnesota is losing eligible students. Yes. And our universities are suffering for that. That's a true statement. But I think that the work that our faculty and our staff have done to create a portfolio of programs that are attractive to students but also meaningful for the state's economy and meaningful for the work that we do in the state has been important, and people gravitate toward that. And I will say, you're talking about smaller numbers of students. I interviewed Dr. Paul Peterson, the yeah. superintendent of public schools, earlier this week, and he talked about this year is the smallest kindergarten group that they've had. And so that's going to be further down the line where we're going to, that's going to attrition to the college age as well. I, I think that point's well taken is that we're looking at a decade in which uh, declining birth rates across the country, but especially in Minnesota, has meant that there will be a greater scramble for trying to make enrollment and make enrollment targets so that we're able to continue doing the work that we do. It'll be a tough decade. So as we look ahead then, are there ways that you are adjusting in terms of budgets and? Sure. Uh, first off, th th this was the, the premise behind the uh, Destination 2030 strategic plan that we've taken two years to, to work on and build. I think the answer for us is thinking about who are our students 
And are they only the traditionally matriculated students that we see in undergraduate and graduate programs? Or are there other students that we may be able to serve, such as those that have stopped out and don't uh, come to school anymore, but after they've got some university credit? Or the five to 6,000 students that choose universities outside of Minnesota that come from Minnesota, maybe they might be more interested in programming here if we're able to get the right portfolio and the right mix for them. And maybe there are professional or, or, or adult learners that want to be able to enhance their degrees that they earned while they were here or get new degrees, new master's degrees, new certifications. I think it's a, an issue of broadening what are the services that we offer. The goal for me is that our campus ought to be able to serve every willing and able uh, learner that wants to cross our threshold. And you mentioned Destination 2030. What exactly is that? I know you brought that up in your convocation as well. Yeah. And of course, anybody outside is going to say, what is he talking about? I like the word destination because in this context, it has two meanings. Destination first is that we're, we're charting our course into where we as a campus want to be by 2030 and beyond. And to do that, we had many people work on campus. We worked with community leaders. We worked with Greater Mankato Growth. We worked with our boards to get input about where do we choose to be by 2030? Because that ought to be an intentional move, not just let history happen, but be in charge of our destiny and identify those things that we want to do. The second meaning for me is I want to be the university of choice for students seeking an undergraduate or graduate degree in this state, that this ought to be their destination for where they can go for excellence in education. You mentioned the destination 2030 is the strategic plan. What are some of the key areas in that to help people further understand that? Sure. There are, there are four major pillars to it. The first is to move to become a lifelong provider of accessible, equitable education. So that means listening to our communities, listening to our state, listening to those that come to us for an education, and figuring what we can do to help support them in their growth and moving forward. I mean, how does that happen? How do you find that out? Are you, do you hold oh. community sessions? Because, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds good, but how does it happen? Well, that's a great question. Part of it happens is because people email me and say, why aren't you doing these ah, things? okay. Part of it happens because we're part of the regional planning effort for uh, the Mankato, greater Mankato area. And we've worked with the different think tanks and roundtables that have been hosted by GMG, among others, to have a conversation about where the emerging economy is going. Part of it is simply what you read in the news and in the different papers. We know, for example, that AI will continue to be a major deal for higher education. So designing programming that will help support students learning, understanding, and use of AI becomes important there. Uh, there are lots of sources for feedback, but some of it you can simply tell. We know, for example, that uh, we will have more and more people moving into southern Minnesota for work, particularly in agriculture. So in talking with agricultural partners, we know that we need to build out more programming, more courses and degree options in agriculture, industry, nutrition, and food science. So that work is underway. We'll launch that program this December. So I think it's looking at who it is you serve and being reflective of what it is they tell you they need. And I know another area of the work when you did your convocation was leading in transformational learning that generates inspired action. Now, those are big words. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> well, first off, our students are active learners. They want to engage in what it is they do. They don't want to sit in the back of a lecture hall and be told what's going on. Right. 
And the role of content becomes different when students have access to massive amounts of content. What happens now is their professors, the staff members they work with, can help guide them in how to use the content and apply it in experiential ways. So experiential learning is becoming more and more important where students have hand-on, hands-on applications of work that they're doing in their classroom guided by our teaching faculty, but also by industry experts or innovators or entrepreneurs. So are we talking research or are we talking actually getting out in industry and working while you're doing your education or both? We're talking both and more. Oh, So everything from cooperative education to doing research kinds of projects to being able to do service and volunteer projects, the things that get our students engaged in their community in ways that let them exercise what they have learned through their curriculum and through the kinds of things that we teach on campus. So the idea is to get our students out and engaged so that they have some way to apply the, what they've learned, but then to take it back and work with their professors and work with their classmates to give it context and to give it some shape and figure out what they need to learn next in order to achieve their goals. This is a lot different than the model that we learned oh, in where yeah. you go to a class and you get lectured at and you take tests, et cetera. And is it part of the generation, at least this is what I've heard, this new generation wants to be involved, engaged, and make a difference? This generation wants to make a difference in something bigger than themselves, and they want to be an active participant in it, not just a receiver of information or theories. And so that's part of the reason we're, we're getting Armstrong Hall replaced, is a building that will be designed around where education is going, not one that looks backward to what it was in the 60s. So what does that look like? Because right now it's a bunch of classrooms with desks, yeah. pretty much, and it's kind of really closed and dark and... Well, and, and a, big, a big feature of where we're going to move to is when students want to be able to work with their faculty members and work with the people that are running the course, they ought to be able to meet with their faculty member in a faculty member's office or the space outside of the office. Right now it's so cramped you right. can't do that. There's no community space where students can work in teams together to accomplish whatever they're trying to work on, and the rooms are simply not flexible. And so I think that the key to the, the next century, the key to the new Armstrong Hall, is going to be around flexibility around students and faculty and how they're going to instruct courses that are going to evolve over the next decade plus. What are the deadlines? Is there a, a date that we anticipate that Armstrong Hall will be completed? Well, we're in phase one now, so we're picking okay. the architects. And then we go back for the second phase of bonding, which will be the construction of the building. So it's not anytime soon. I'm hoping it's soon, like three years. Okay. All right. That's what I was trying to I'm, get at. I'm, I'm hopeful. All right. We can always be hopeful. I'm that, hopeful. That is for sure. I was just wondering, how normal do you think things look now compared with, you know, when we had COVID, we went to all online, and then we started coming back to classes, and not everybody came back. How much is online now versus in class and what's the mix? We're getting back to normal, or at least what it was pre-pandemic. Okay. We still have a lot of online options, but there are a lot of courses that mix online with face-to-face. -face. At the end of the day, the, the, what makes our campus special, what makes this community special is around the relationships we build. And so while online is terrific for communicating ideas and terrific for communicating content, much of the relationship development that students have with their faculty, with our staff, that they have with this place means that we're here in residence. And that's one of the reasons I think our residence halls are full. We have wait lists. And that's because students want to be here in this community working with their faculty, working with our staff, so that they have a high-quality experience while they're on campus. How is the 
situation with tuition working? I mean, it's it's expensive, and we talk about that, but I believe Minnesota State is considered one of the best deals. What's the, the status on that? You know, we've heard talk about forgiving debts and all that sort of thing, and maybe some students are hoping that still happens. Our tuition is relatively low, but it's a relative term. I mean, when I went to school, if I had a minimum wage uh, job, I would be able to pay all of my year tuition working maybe nine weeks in the summer. Right. Right now, minimum wage job, which is much higher than mine would have been, it takes 26 to 27 weeks to earn your tuition. So even though we're the lowest tuition, we have the lowest tuition of any of the four-year public universities in the state, Mm -hmm. it's still expensive. And so finding a way to support students uh, through scholarships or different kinds of grants and, you know, through emergency grants, the things that help them stay in school, that becomes important. Designing some of how we offer programming that allows students to work because they will have to work through the year uh, is also important, figuring out how to flex around what students need to be able to do. Long term, you know, my, my hope remains that we find ways to educate our students through things like the North Star Promise Scholarship Program, which is the program that the legislature passed that guarantees students uh, that make under 80000 a year, that have family income of 80000 a year or less, will be able to get free tuition after all other forms of financial aid have been used. That's huge, right? That has the potential to mean that students don't need to go as far into debt and will not need to work as hard so that they'll be able to stay in school. Well, it'll start in 2025, so next year. Okay, next year. Good. Uh, international students. How are the numbers with international students? You talked about the overall yep. uh, population is pretty good, but where are we in international? We used to be among the, the top with the numbers. We're among the top, but we're down in the number of international students that have registered so far. What's tough to tell, though, is, is we haven't finished all of the enrollment process, so I don't get final numbers sure. until census, but we're down about 4% over where we were this time last year. Do you know what that is attributed to? Or there... Usually it's around funding and qualifying to be able to be here. Oh, sure. And that is they have to be able to demonstrate financial independence, um, that they will not be stuck in the U.S. If they, uh, don't, if they run out of resources. So it is making sure that they are financially capable and that all of the uh, uh, paperwork and visa applications have been completed. So... It's still, we're in that process where we're still trying to sort out what it's going to look like, but we look like we're down a little bit. What's new on campus or in terms of things or classes or programs? Well, there's a lot that's new on campus. Probably the big thing is, has been the reimagining of how we're going to attract uh, student success and redesign our advising program that's so students have much closer connection with their advisors and support systems. We've built out a referral system over the the summer so that students will have access, clear and easier access to the resources on campus that's available. Students don't often know what's available to them. No. Right. And so we're working hard to educate students about that, but also to make sure that our our advising staff are equipped to be able to refer students to services that they may need. How does that work then? How are they going to know about this? Because, I mean, I think back when I was a college student, I would not have thought to go out and seek that sort of thing just because I've just wouldn't. Well, the system we put in place over the summer uh, is a predictive system. It will indicate based on student behavior whether or not a student may need some support. So we can look at what a student registered for in the you know over the fall or over the spring and into the summer, and know if that if that course schedule is particularly difficult. 
And then we can reach out to the students, say, here are tutoring services for you or supplemental instruction you should take advantage of and or go talk to your advisor about how you might want to work this through. I mean, who does that? There's 15,000 students. That's a lot of students. I mean, that's... We have a whole division whose job this is. Really? The Division of Student Success, Analytics, and Planning. Okay. I mean, that's really really a very different model because it seems like the university is so much more hands-on than ever before. I think we need to be. And I think it's also what our students expect is, uh, you know, it's one thing to read the material and, and be a passive learner. It's very different when you are actively engaged in your own learning. That requires more attention. That requires more hands-on. And that requires a more personalized approach. I think that's part of how higher education is going to evolve over the next few years. What are some of our largest programs? Any in particular that are large, growing, and strong? Oh, they're the ones you would, you would continue to imagine. Aviation's bursting at the seams. They okay. have their barbecue tonight, so we're going to be out there. But, you know, the, the College of Business, with its new dean, is going to continue to grow and do something. I, th- I, I think it continues to be one of the most transformative programs on our campus is what's going on and what's going on there. In uh, education and healthcare and nursing, all of those continue to boom. We're a little flat in engineering and sciences overall, but I expect we'll see growth there soon. Uh, what do you think happened? Because it seems like STEM is such a huge part of education in general. Why is it shrinking or why is it not growing as much as we hope? Well, one of the reasons is there's ex- extreme competition for engineers and engineering ah, students. And gotcha. so we're just positioning ourselves to be able to expand And one of the real opportunities there, and we have a new dean over the area, one of the opportunities there is to continue to develop our undergraduate and graduate research, but also to help our faculty get more opportunities around sponsored research. That's what our new dean brings to the table. It's very good experience doing this. Let's see. I was going to ask also about the mental health issues. We had talked about uh, things coming back to normal, but one thing I know in talking with the superintendent of schools in younger folks, the issue is mental health. They're having to deal with a lot of things coming yeah. out of COVID. Is the college age students having to face something similar? Are we having to deal with that? Yes. And how? Well, we have a, a department whose job it is to work with our students, and that's part of the referral system that we're trying to make sure that our students get connected with the resources they need, including counseling and, and that type and, and, and medical attention as well. Uh, these students have been through a lot. Right. I mean, the four years of students that are on this campus now, but also the students we're just bringing in, mm-hmm. uh, they've gone through a lot. It's been a unique experience that no one was perfectly equipped to handle. And so the students we have are going to need attention in areas where they have stress or where they have a learning deficiency. We're going to see this for a while. And that means that the university needs to make sure that we have you know, the, the counseling resources that they need, but also the, the tutoring resources, the supplemental instruction kinds of things, the research assistance because of areas where they may have gaps in their experience. And that all adds to stress and tension that they experience here. Do we have extra staff or extra people dealing with it? We do. And one of the things I'm really proud of is that we've been able to provide services to other campuses as well through telehealth. Oh, and so we I did provide, not know that. yeah, uh, because this isn't just us. I mean, this is everybody in our system and beyond. And it's one that requires, I think, a, an effort throughout our system. And so working with the other campuses in our system has been helpful as well. What are you looking forward to in terms of our athletic teams this year? I know you're a big hockey fan. 
especially. I like, I like all of our teams. Okay, of course. Well, uh, I haven't gotten to soccer yet. I think they've got a game, uh, is it for Saturday? And we have a pretty good soccer team this year. I'm looking forward to, you know, volleyball starts up here pretty soon. Last year, women's basketball had an incredibly good run. And I've liked watching that team. And, of course, hockey. And football starts here. I think our first uh, game's on the 9th. And so football starts up here. And trying to figure out if I can get to Sioux Falls so that I can see the uh, game there. That one's a tougher one. But, you know, it's less about the, the name on the sport than it is about the energy with which our students focus their abilities so that they can achieve the best they're going to be able to achieve, right? I mean, they, they push themselves so hard while maintaining good grade point averages. I think it's exciting to celebrate those. When, while I don't get to every sport, I've been to a lot of them. I haven't gotten to golf yet. Okay. You know, <laughs> and I've gone to swimming, but I, I, that mystifies me somehow. But, you know, the thing is, in, in every sport that I've been to, it's just the energy our students bring to the field, to competition, to find their personal excellence. One of the best experiences I had last year was traveling with our track and field team to the NCAA tournament. Uh, these students care deeply for one another, even though they're in individual events largely. They celebrate one another, and we compete at such a high level. It is just impressive. And we've seen that in our hockey team. is the one that's most visible in our New community. Coach. New coach, excited about him, and he's now got his three assistant coaches in place. I'm excited about the year. You know, all of that, though, is just a showcase of what our students accomplish when they work together in a team, when they have very good teaching and mentoring. What it is they accomplish really puts us on the map. Almost all of our teams are nationally ranked, and that's impressive. We do a lot with our, you know, with our athletic programs. We do a lot with other programs we have on campus. I mean, I look at the Mav Machine Marching Band is, gonna, uh, is a featured band in the Thanksgiving Day Parade in Chicago. Oh, wow. Look, yeah. That's awesome. I, they were in Rome last year because they're getting recognized as some of the very best that we have to offer. I look at what we, I look at the uh, play schedule for this year, the dance schedule. There's a lot that's going on on campus that just makes you feel very grateful to get to work at a university. What is something you want the community to know, since you're on the air right now and the community is listening, about what's happening here at MSU or anything in general? Well, the big move this year, is, as we've talked about a lot on campus as part of the strategic plan, is to uh, enhance the partnerships we have with our community, build out things like internships, service learning projects, to become a much stronger partner across the region, and then to invite our regional partners to be part of the advisory groups that help our campus steer and navigate to where we need to be through 2030 and beyond. Okay, so it's full steam ahead. Full steam ahead. I'm excited about it. There's a lot to do this year. Thank you. We've been talking with President Inch at Minnesota State University about this, this coming year, and we're all excited to be back and have the students on campus. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.